0: Hello, and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's free resources, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, thank you for drawing us together as you have today, and I pray that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've looked at different psalms over the last few weeks, we've seen a recurring theme rise to the surface that really ties everything together. The theme is this, because God is who he is, our creator, our helper, our refuge, our defender, our shepherd, we can trust in him no matter what our circumstances Today, we'll be looking at three Psalms composed by David, the musician king of Israel. As I've mentioned before, King David was no stranger to hard circumstances over the course of his life, and these three Psalms are thought to have been written fairly close together at a time when David was quite literally in the dark hiding from King Saul in the cave of Adullam. I don't think we can take these psalms to heart without understanding what must have been weighing on David as he hid there in the cave. So we're going to take a brief look in the book of First Samuel to get some idea of what had brought him to this point. We first met David in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when the prophet Samuel secretly anointed him to be the next king of Israel. In 1 Samuel 17, the still young David, singly-handed, killed the giant Goliath, who was defying God and mocking the armies of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, David was taken from the battlefield into King Saul's household as a personal attendant to the king. He quickly became great friends with the king's son, Jonathan, who recognized almost immediately that David was God's chosen successor to his own father. And he welcomed David as both a friend and a brother. As time passed, David became a successful warrior in Saul's army and a great favorite of the people of Israel. But Saul's jealousy and fear of David began to consume him and he determined to kill the young man he'd once promoted. In chapters 19 and 20, Jonathan tried to bring peace between his father and David, but there was no chance of reconciliation. And so, after making a covenant of friendship and pledging to care for each other's families, David and Jonathan parted ways, and it seems that they never saw each other again. From that point on, David spent most of his time on the run from Saul's attempts to find and kill him. It was not only a terrible time for David, but also for all those who dared to help him. And as the fear of Saul's anger increased, so too did the number of people who were willing to betray David into his hands. One particularly horrific betrayal is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 21 to 22. After parting from Jonathan, David carefully made his way to the town of Nob. He and those few men who were with him were in great need of food and weapons. But David went for another reason as well. You see, Nob was where the tabernacle was kept. You may remember the tabernacle was the tent that Israel carried throughout all their desert wanderings. It was the place where God's presence dwelled and where he met with his people. David wanted to hear from God. He'd often passed through the town on his missions for King Saul, but because he'd come alone and unequipped, the priest Ahimelech was understandably cautious. Eventually, he was persuaded to give David some bread and the sword of Goliath that had been kept in the tabernacle. However, one of Saul's servants was also in Nob, Doeg, the Edomite, saw everything that had happened and he betrayed David to the king. Saul summoned the entire community of priests and accused them of treachery. And though Ahimelech protested that they had no knowledge of David's supposed rebellion, Saul ordered all of them to be killed. Doeg was the only one willing to follow Saul's orders and he personally killed all 85 of them. He also destroyed the entire town of Nob, including the women and children. Only one priest escaped, Ahimelech's son Abiatha, who managed to bring with him the Urim and Thummim, the special lots through which God revealed his will to the people. You can imagine the heavy grief David felt when Abiatha told him what had happened. You can feel the weight in his words when he says, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Abiathar remained with David and became his trusted counselor, but every sight of that young priest must have pierced David's heart. Realizing he had no safe place left in Israel, David tried going to Gath, the Philistine city, But when even they were suspicious about him, he pretended to be mad in order to make his escape. At that point, he turned southwest of Jerusalem to a series of limestone caves near the valley of Elah, the very scene of his victory against Goliath. And there he hid for three to four months in the cave of Adullam, The name literally means the cave of refuge and while it clearly provided physical refuge from Saul's hunters, it also provided a safe place, a secret place where David could cry out to the Lord with all that was weighing on his heart and mind. These three Psalms today come from that time. Many believe that Psalm 142 was written first at perhaps the earliest time of his trial. Listen to David's words as he says, I cry out to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Notice how honest David was before the Lord. Verse 2 reveals he poured forth his complaint. He held back nothing. He told the Lord all his troubles, all his needs, and he was exhausted. Verse 3 says his spirit had grown weary. He had no more reserves. And you know, when we're In a state like that, our thoughts race back and forth between hope and despair. David's thoughts did just the same here. Tired beyond belief, yet he found something hopeful in the midst of it, saying, When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. David remembered that he wasn't alone. He remembered that he had a shepherd, one who knew exactly where he was and who was watching over him, even though he was on a path filled with traps of the enemy. But then the loneliness hit him again in verse 4. He was cut off from those who would normally support him, his family and his friends. He honestly felt that no other human being cared for his life. Then, hopeful again, David recognized in verse 5 that his true refuge, his true place of safety, was the Lord God of Israel. And he cried out in verse 6 and 7, I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. We can call this psalm the Psalm of the Honest Heart, In the darkness and isolation of the cave, David became truthful with God. He was realistic about himself and his situation. He knew that there was nothing he could do in his own strength, but he also knew who God was and what God could do. And that's where he finally placed his trust. So what can we learn from this for ourselves? When we face trials in our own lives, we often end up complaining to anyone and everyone around us who will listen, don't we? We forget to pour out our hearts to the Lord before anyone else. Our first reaction to trouble shouldn't be to pick up the phone or to dash off an email. It should be to cry out to the Lord who sees us, who knows us, and who is with us. And when we do, We need to be honest before him. He knows about it all anyway, but often it takes going through a trial for us to admit things ourselves. But being honest before God is what brings peace and ultimately deliverance as he meets us where we are and begins to set us free. The next psalm probably came a bit later. Some have suggested David composed Psalm 57 on a day when Saul's soldiers were very close to the cave, perhaps in its outer edges. There is certainly an atmosphere of present danger in it. It begins with David's plea for mercy, and let me say that when we ask God for mercy, we're really asking for him to give us everything we need, not just forgiveness for our sins. God's mercy encompasses all his goodness and grace. It's something we need to be asking for continually. Verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God Most High, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me. Rebuking those who hotly pursue me, God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. David's picture of seeking refuge under the shadow of God's wings reminds me of Psalm 91, where God promised to gather those who trust in him like a mother hen provides security for her chicks. David placed himself under the shelter of God's wings and trusted God to keep him safe until the threat had passed. In these verses, David appeared to feel the injustice of his situation. He compared those pursuing him to the wild lions that roamed the mountainsides. But the beasts after him were human ones, with spears and arrows instead of teeth, and deceptive words that pierced like swords. But he turned to God to save him and uphold him in the eyes of his enemies. He was convinced in verse 5 and 6 that the Lord is the Exalted One who sits above the heavens, whose glory would be over all the earth. And though David's enemies had indeed spread a net for his feet, and though he was bowed down in distress, though they had dug a pit in his path, God had made sure that they had fallen into it themselves. And the only response that he could make in verse 7 was, My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. I think we can call this psalm the Psalm of the Fixed Heart. You see, David had a choice. He could fix his attention on his circumstances, on the unfairness and hardship of what was happening to him, on the strength of those against him, on the long wait for God to deliver him. Or, He could choose to fix his attention on the God he'd just described in the previous verses, the exalted one, the one whose glory filled the entire earth, the one who delivers those who trust in him and who knows how to handle enemies and make things right. David determined to gather all his thoughts and energy and plant them in the most solid ground possible in the ground of the love and faithfulness of God. And I love his self-talk in verse 8. He says, awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. He was encouraging himself to get up and give the Lord the praise due him. And in the end, he could find no words or places big enough to contain it all. He says, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations, I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love, reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. So what can we take away from Psalm 57? Well, I think we can ask ourselves, on what is my heart fixed? What will be the focus of my life? Answering that question makes going through our trials much, much easier, though it will not magically take them away. You see, for a time, David still had to hide from his enemies in the cave of Adullam. They were still prowling around outside, and deliverance wasn't yet in sight. But David didn't focus on those things. Instead, he chose to praise God. He wasn't denying the reality of his situation. He was trusting in the greater reality of God's utter and complete faithfulness to those who love him. The final psalm that David is thought to have written about this time is Psalm 34. I like to think this psalm actually illustrates David's determination in Psalm 57 to wake up and use all of his abilities in praising the Lord. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David's heart was still steadfast and fixed. He would praise God in every circumstance and glory in who he is. And he must have had an audience because he issues the first of several invitations here in verse three, saying, "Glorify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name for ever." So, who was David talking to? Well, First Samuel chapter twenty-two, verses two to three, relates how all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander, and about 400 men were with him. David may have entered the cave of Adullam with just a few men, but before long, others had joined his group. It's hard to imagine that these struggling men would be God's answer to David's prayers, but they were. Though they came to David broken and in trouble, David shared his own experience with them and invited them to trust the Lord too. Listen to his testimony to them in verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. David had known what it was to be all alone without anyone to support him. Driven from the court of King Saul and hunted like a wild beast, he'd known what it was to be afraid and uncertain of the future. He had indeed suffered many troubles, but in the midst of them he had called out to God, And the Lord not only heard him, he saved him out of all his troubles. David described the joy that had come to him as a result of God's work. He said that those who look to the Lord are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. We automatically think of Moses and the radiance that shone from his face when he came down from the mountain after having spent time in the presence of God. Or we remember Stephen, whose face was described as being like the face of an angel, even as he was being killed by the murderous mob in Jerusalem. David had been made glad by what the Lord had done for him. He was at peace and it showed in his face. There really is an unmistakable something about people who dwell in the Lord's presence. It can't be imitated and it can't be duplicated, but it can't help but be seen. David knew that he had done nothing to bring about these changes in his life. Rather, it was the angel of the Lord who had protectively encircled him and delivered him. David also knew that God would do the same for all who put their trust in him. And so he issued the second invitation in verse 8, saying, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. He says, don't just take my word for it. Try it for yourself. You won't be disappointed. That's why I think this psalm could be known as the psalm of the confident heart. David didn't hesitate to talk about what God had done and invite others to trust him, because he knew God would keep his word to all who call on him. He continued to encourage his men in verse 9 through 10, saying, "'Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing.'" The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who fear man can never know real peace, but those who fear God, who treat him with the respect and awe that he deserves, lack nothing. Lions are strong and powerful hunters, able to get almost any prey they pursue and satisfy their own needs, but Sometimes even their strength fails and they suffer hunger and want. However, those who seek the Lord shall not want for any good thing, for God always provides for those who belong to him. There's another invitation in verses 11 through 16. David makes another invitation in verses 11 to 16. He says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. David invites them to join him in fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. How can they do that, though? Well, it's by loving truth, hating evil, and by doing what is good and right. It's really not very complicated. David says God's eyes and ears are attentive to those who live with that kind of heart. And the Lord is quick to comfort all who have been broken and crushed by the wicked world in which we live. But there is an opposite to this. God sets himself against those who do evil. They do not have his help and they will have no lasting inheritance. David then closes with his confident hope for the future, saying in verse 19, "'The righteous person may have many troubles. "'The Lord delivers him from them all. "'He protects all his bones. "'Not one of them will be broken. "'Evil will slay the wicked. "'The foes of the righteous will be condemned.' But the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. David fully expected complete deliverance from all his foes. And though I'm sure he did not really fully understand at the time, he was speaking of more than his ultimate deliverance from Saul. He was actually speaking of Jesus Christ and what he would come to do. The reference to broken bones here is from the Passover when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. The Passover lamb was carefully chosen and even as it was killed for the sacrifice, not one of its bones was to be broken. Centuries later, the Lord Jesus, who Paul reveals is our Passover lamb, died in our place on the cross to set us free from the bondage of sin. And just like the Passover lamb all those years before, not one of his bones was broken. When the soldiers came to hasten the death of those crucified that day by breaking their legs, they saw he was already dead and left him alone. Christ's voluntary death on the cross was the ultimate rescue of humanity from sin's condemnation. Those who reject his grace and do not turn to him will suffer all its horrible consequences. But those who place their faith in Jesus will be delivered from sin's condemnation to enjoy the fullness of eternal life with God. So what can we learn ourselves from this psalm of the confident heart? Well, What stands out to me is that this kind of confidence in God actually comes from living out Psalm 142 and Psalm 57. When we walk honestly through our trials and fix our hearts on glorifying God, He answers. He meets our needs and makes us into the people that He has called us to be. If you feel as if God has got you in a cave right now, Remember these things. The cave is always a place of separation, but it's a separation that has a purpose. It will teach you things you can learn in no other way. The cave will reveal the true you, stripping you of every misplaced dependency you might have. Yes, it may be painful, but it's necessary. The cave will also make you a better follower of God. Though Adullam was perhaps the most frustrating period in David's life, in hindsight, it turned out to be one of the most fruitful. In fact, God does some of his best work in the darkest moments of our lives. David became a man after God's own heart, in part because he had been in the cave of Adullam, and all that he learned there about himself and about the Lord made him the king that God wanted him to be. And you know, the same will be true for us. May the Lord give us the grace to learn from him even in the dark. God bless you. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Bichelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.